I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Editing Podcast. This week we're going to talk about location and whether where your editor lives actually matters. That's right. So the answer, as usual, is it depends. That's your favourite phrase, isn't it, Denise? <laughs> when, you got, when you got married and the registrar said, do you, Denise, take Andy to be your lawfully wedded husband? Is that how you answered? It depends. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> anyway, so, so we're going to break this discussion down into three sections. First, we're going to look at situations where location does matter. Then situations where you think it might matter, but in reality, it probably isn't an issue. And finally, the situations where location is pretty much irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk first about why location will be important. Now, it could be that your book is themed around a particular town, region or country's culture or economy or history, for example. And you're looking for a deeper deeper level of editing and an editor who has that location-based knowledge. Mm. So, for example, you've written a local history book and you want to work with someone who will help you spot irregularities that concern that region's history. Or if your novel has characters with a strong regional dialect, you might want an editor who speaks or understands that dialect. For example, yeah, for example, not all Scots talk the same way. There are regional accents and dialects and they vary hugely, even within a relatively small geographical area. Hmm. And, And don't assume that just because someone lives in a certain place that they're from that place. So your husband. He's not from he's not from Scotland, is he? No, he's definitely not. Yeah, yeah. So not long ago, I was contacted by an Australian author who'd got in touch with me because he saw I lived in Norfolk, the UK one. And I had to tell him that I grew up in Buckinghamshire, was educated in Portsmouth. Then I lived in London and had only actually moved to Norfolk 15 years ago. So an editor's location might not be quite what it seems. Absolutely. Yeah. I was born in and I now live in Scotland, but I also lived and worked in England for years. That's where I met Andy. And I think the point is that editors, just like everyone else, we pick up knowledge from all sorts of life experiences and searching by location only can be limiting from that point of view. Although if it's local knowledge you're looking for, it might be worth hunting that out. Though that kind of specialist knowledge might be less about where an editor lives and more about what their interests and experiences are. So I think it's going to need a conversation beyond where they're actually located. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So the next reason might be because you're committed to working with a local editor for ethical or political reasons. So, for example, you might want to support your local regional or national economy, which is a really good reason to narrow down your search by location, actually, um, yeah. as long as you can find the the, the right fit editor for your book and your way of working. So I had that not long ago, a thriller writer who lives in the next village to me, absolutely wanted to work with someone from the region because, not because his book was set locally, it wasn't, um, but just because he's always hired by local people himself and, and, and he wanted to reciprocate. Yeah, I think that's a really positive approach. Yeah. Yeah, if you can make it work for you. Mm. Um, And another reason to go local is that you might need to meet up with your editor. Now, obviously, nowadays, we've got Skype and Zoom, which means we can have a face-to-face conversation with anyone from anywhere. But if you do need someone on site, um, I'm thinking here that there might be issues around privacy or security or confidentiality that mean that you don't want your files going off site. Then location is absolutely going to be important. 
Yeah, yeah. And there's one final reason why location might matter. Some universities, for example, I know the University of Essex in the UK is an example of this. Um, so some universities insist that students work with local proofreaders. Now, those people have to live in the county of Essex in that case um, I just mentioned. So it's their policy and an editor can't get on their list of freelance proofreaders if they don't live in that region. Oh, that's an interesting one. I wasn't aware of that, actually. Mm -hmm. I think it's quite, that's the only one I've come across in the UK mm -hmm. where um, they've actually got a policy on it. There may be others, but... Um, yeah. I wonder if that's them just supporting their local economy. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's turn now to a few of the reasons why you might think location matters, but it probably doesn't. So let's talk first about spelling differences. I really don't think this is a problem for most editors. Do you, Louise? No, I agree. I, I really, I don't think it's a factor. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, most editors read books that are written by authors from all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And if we're asked to edit for Canadian spelling or US spelling, even though we're based in the UK, we just use the relevant style guides and dictionaries. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's worth emphasising that a pro editor should understand that there is no single way of spelling anything. There are nationally accepted standards and recognised variations. And any pro editor who doesn't know that really doesn't deserve to call themselves a pro. It's not about wrong and right, is it? It's about convention and style choice. Yeah, that's right. So I think the best thing to do is to tell your editor what your spelling variation choice is and ask them if they're comfortable editing in that. Yeah. And I think um, the other thing to say on this point is that when we're talking about editing and spelling differences, I think that is different from localization. Do you yeah. agree? Yeah, Louise? yeah, I do. I do. I do. That's because that, there you're talking about language, which I, we're going to come on to a little bit later, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So localization is a different skill completely, um, converting American English totally into UK English. Um, and I think that is a separate, it's not an editorial, it's not part of a standard copy edit really, is it, Louise? No, no. 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 And it's, it's more to do with, because um, you're looking at things like idiom and... Yeah. Um, um and that so that 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 has its whole other set of of, of issues that go with it yeah that, yeah that, that might actually make location port um, important or or orig where an editor originated from, originates from yeah, yeah yeah so i just threw you completely off course with that that's, one but... that's all right then. <laughs> <laughs> and just to say oxford oxford dictionaries online is a really good resource for editors and writers because even the free version includes us and uk spelling variations but i'll, I'll come on to that later Mm, okay are you hogging that for your editing bite maybe <laughs> i'm saying nothing <laughs> okay right so uh moving on another related factor here we mentioned is idiom and again i think this isn't always the problem some people think it's going to be because most of us are so used to hearing people from different places speaking in their own ways the idiomatic phrases generally shouldn't throw an editor that's right. And 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 also there are again, there are some online and um, paperback um, resources that can help editors um, work out idiomatic um, yeah. uh, conventions. Yeah. So um, and so when, even if we're not sure, we'll still query rather than marking it as wrong. I have an author yeah. whose thrillers are set in the Colorado Rockies and he often uses phrases that I wouldn't say, but I know his characters would say them. And if they sound a little off to my ear, I just pop a question in the comments and ask him to, to confirm. It's as simple as that. It's not a big yeah. deal. 
it's not a big deal and it doesn't take long for an editor to settle into that idiomatic phrasing does it you know once you're tuned into somebody's writing and the characters in particular Mm. Mm. again i think it's more about experience than location with that sort of thing yeah i mean sometimes that there are issues around it which we alluded to before but um I still remember when I read train spotting at the time I thought it was because I was English that I really struggled to read Irvin Welsh's dialectical writing I don't know you're Scottish did you did you find it that easy to read or did it throw you too um <laughs> I think initially yeah I think initially it did take a bit to get my eye in as it were but I think because I know what it sounds like that probably helped me to tune in more easily than than you managed yeah, to yeah yeah but here's another example. When I read Sunset Song by Lewis Grassic Gibbons, I really struggled. And now that's a Scottish classic and it's set in the northeast. We had to read it when we were at school. And because it's in the northeast of Scotland, the language is very much Doric based, which is quite different from Lowland or Lalland Scots, which is probably more familiar to most non-Scots as mm, what they hear mm. as a typical Scottish accent. But if you've ever watched the Pixar animation Brave, I have. Yeah, which is <laughs> yeah, set in Scotland. Yeah. yeah. So the character uh, Young MacGuffin, he speaks Doric and the other characters don't understand him. Yeah. And a lot of people thought that that character was just talking gibberish. <laughs> and they didn't they didn't actually realise that it was um it was Doric, yeah. yeah. yeah and yeah. apparently the actor who voiced him, um, Kevin McKidd, he decided to do the accent based on his grandfather and his hometown of Elgin. Oh. Do you want an example? Yeah, yeah, do. Go on, then. Go on. <laughs> okay. Well, at one point, he says, it's just nae fair making his fifth for the hand of the queen that doesn't want any bit of it, Ken. Um, I, I reckon I can just about probably just work about. that out. But, but um, yeah. I certainly wouldn't class it as gibberish, but translate no. it to me anyway. Well, the translation of that is it just isn't fair to make us fight for the hands of a girl that isn't interested you know Uh, you see see, see, it's not always about the accent it's about the words in the language as well so you've got quine in there for um, you know for girl and you've got ficht for fight and makin for making so you know there are there are you know words that are used differently it's not just seeing things in a different way very much yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> so um, another thing we might want to mention here that might come into play is um, I'm much slower editing text when I'm unsure how to pronounce it, which is, I mean, actually, in the example you just spoke, um, I actually could imagine um, seeing that written and, and it, maybe I wouldn't have understood it, but I, I wouldn't have necessarily had problems understanding it. But, You'd have got the sense of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The problem, I think, comes when you're editing text where the, the phonemes are constructed using different letter combinations, um, yeah. and that can really slow me down initially. So I remember the first time I edited a text with the Irish word for prime minister in it, um, Taoiseach, and it tripped me up because it's spelt T-A-O-I-S-E-A. CH, I think. Yes, yes, I think you're <laughs> and, right. And, and it tripped me up because that's, um, because how that word spelled compared to how it sounds was just unfamiliar to my ear because I, yeah. I, I don't speak any Irish. So, um, but for an editor, that's, that problem's always fixable. There are plenty of online resources, again, available that can help anyone work out how to pronounce anything. I mean, again, there are going to be variations in pronunciation, but I can say Taoiseach with the best of them now. <laughs> she says, as our Irish writer and editor friends, email the podcast to see how woeful your Irish pronunciation is. 
<laughs> oh dear. But the thing is, um, editors working at sentence level are all about clarity and consistency. So we're going to find solutions to the things that we stumble over so that we can make sure that the spelling and idiom that we're unfamiliar with won't impact negatively on the quality of our edit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So one final thing that some authors think, well, they might think of it as a location issue is payment. Now, in my experience, most editors can take international payments either by direct bank transfer or PayPal or some other agent like Stripe or Currency Fair. And while there might be small charges, for me anyway, and I think with most editors, they're just a cost of doing business. I absolutely agree with that. All businesses that work with international clients clients sound like um, it's a bit lord of the rings isn't it <laughs> yeah. is that a specific dialect you're using there's that north yeah. uh, that's, that's, that's just louise-ish <laughs> um yeah all international clients have to ex- um anyone working with international clients has to accept that there are going to be costs to working globally and uh, editors are no different so um let's turn now to when location really isn't a factor so the first thing to consider is fresh ears I think it can be advantage to have an editor who's not coming at a text with a particular location or dialectical bias. Because let's face it, many writers are writing for a global audience. So searching for editors based on experience or subject matter or genre um, specialism is going to give you a much better fit than basing your choice just on where they live. Yeah, that's right. And it applies as much to fiction as nonfiction. Um, a lot of the business education texts that I work on, and especially the web content, they're all going to be read globally. Mm. So it really does go back to that issue of thinking about the editor in terms of what they can do, as opposed to where they happen to be based. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think also... Just think how much bigger the pot is if you're prepared to search internationally rather than just regionally. And we do accept that, you know, location searches can be a good way of narrowing down things if you're swamped by possibilities when you're searching for an editor. However, if you haven't already, have a listen to episode 10 on finding an editor for some other ways of refining your search so that you get the right person. Yeah, now one other thing we should mention is that location is even less likely to be an issue if you're hiring a proofreader, I think. Proofreading is the final pre-publication check that looks for any remaining slip-ups after all the other rounds of editing uh, have taken place. So all the stylistic decisions should have already been made. And if you hired a professional copy editor, most of these, including spelling and idiom, will have been recorded on a style sheet and your proofreader can refer to that. It's not really a proofreader's job to go on a a location-centred fact-checking exercise. That stuff does need to be done earlier, either by you, the the writer, or someone else during earlier rounds of editing. Yeah, yeah. And finally, think about how working with people who are based in locations in different time zones might play to your advantage. Mm. So if you're on a tight deadline and your editor's having breakfast when you're still tucked up in bed, you can get more done. Yes, there really are sometimes more than 24 hours in a day. <laughs> Although I guess that could work the other way too. You could end up losing hours if your editor's tucked up in bed while you're having breakfast. So yeah, so there sometimes really are more than 24 hours in a day. Although I guess that could work the other way too. You could end up losing hours if your editor's tucked up in bed while you're having breakfast. But I think what's important here is not so much where you both live as making sure you both know what that means for you in terms of coordinating your correspondence. Yeah. Now, talking of time zones, Denise, look at the time. You know what that means? (laughs) Yay! It's time for Editing Bites. Yay! This is where we each recommend a favourite resource for writers. So you go first. What's your recommendation, Louise? 
So as I um, gave away before, my recommendation is Oxford Dictionaries Online. I love this because even the free version includes US and UK spelling variations. And it also has this really nifty little audio tool that allows you to check standard pronunciation of words. Um, so that's what I use when I wanted to know how to say T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also a premium version that gives you access to other Oxford resources like Hart's Rules, Garner's Legal Usage, Fowler's Modern, Modern English Usage, and... Um, and some grammar advice too. But the other thing to mention is that if you're a UK library member, you can sign into premium with your library card for free. It's a great tool. It is, yeah. I do that with my library card. It's mm. a it's mm -hmm. a massive benefit. Yeah. yeah. So my editing bite this week is the Urban Dictionary. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yes. So this is a crowdsourced online dictionary for slang words and phrases operating under the motto define your world. Mm. And I find this really great for pinning down contemporary use of words and phrases and neologisms that can suddenly just seem to appear out of nowhere. I remember a few years ago, I was editing the transcript of a video interview with students and I used it to look up FOMO. I had, I had no <laughs> idea what that meant. And it's everywhere now, but, you know, I, know, I, know. I was yeah. thinking... Was it foam? I, I didn't know if it was some sort yeah. of thing that they were doing. Uh, but be warned, though, it is very easy to disappear down a rabbit hole looking for entries for things that you could never have imagined. It's a bit like Wikipedia in that respect. Yeah. And it is worth pointing out um, that it does allow racial and sexual slurs, although racist and sexist entries are not permitted. So you will find some of the content um pretty um yes what's the word i'm looking for edgy edgy yeah that's a good word edgy and some people might find some of it offensive um yeah absolutely but, but if, then, if you're writing that sort of thing yeah. then you, it's yeah, a yeah, absolutely i mean I, yeah. I think it's 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 possibly really handy for um i've seen it i found it quite handy if you're looking up sort of um contemporary or you know little known uh, words for, for things like drug drug usage or, yes. or particular types of drugs but also um uh sort of sex talk um, yeah yeah absolutely and, uh, and sweary stuff so there's yeah. lots of sweary stuff in it yes. yeah yeah so sex yeah. swearing drugs it's great for that yeah. all the good stuff <laughs> So that's all for this week. I think it's probably a good place to leave it, actually. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the editing podcast. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. We have. Yeah, indeed. Um, and you can rate, review and subscribe to us via your podcatcher. And if you have any questions or topics that you want us to cover, please do get in touch with us via the Editing Podcast Facebook page. And all the links we've mentioned are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.